related to Suffering Church Sunday and as an introduction to the teaching this morning, we're going to watch about a six-minute video here. are the only time I am out of solitary. I am losing hope and fear I have been forgotten. I recite Bible verses to myself, but the words are getting harder and harder to remember. I can handle the torture, the starvation, but I desperately need my Bible. Every day I pray, over and over for God to give me a Bible. Now I have my chance. The interrogations have ended and the guards trust me to go into the jungle to gather firewood. Working as fast as I can, I will collect two days worth of firewood. I'll bring one bundle back and leave the second bundle in the woods. This is what I need to do. It is very risky, but God is answering my prayer. I will risk everything to have a Bible. to leave my wife, but I have to or she will be in danger. Leaving her is so hard. 
God has answered my prayer. I have a Bible, but I must be careful. They found my Bible, but I would not give up. I will bring in more Bibles. I will read God's word every chance I get. Then the letters came. Letters from me. Letters from Christians all over the world. God not only answered my prayer for a Bible. He let me know I am not forgotten. แล้วก็สู้สู้สู้สู้สู้อืมแล้วก็ขอบคุณพระเจ้าขอบคุณอนาพี่น้องทั่วโลกที่อธิษฐานอ่อนวอนเพื่อโอ้แล้วก็มู
you can't put a price tag on that. You can't say what that's worth. It's inestimable. Are we praying? The Apostle Paul knew a thing or two about persecution. Think of his life for just a minute. Uh, this was a guy on one hand who, who, like the suffering, persecuted church today, suffered and was persecuted for Christ's name and cause. So, you know, you read his biography and he, we know he's imprisoned and he's beaten and he's whipped. He's stoned apparently to death. He's seen the suffering and the persecution part of life for sure in spades. But then also, here's a guy who had seen Jesus personally after the resurrection on the road to Damascus. But then beyond that even, here was a guy who had been to heaven itself. 2 Corinthians 12 talks about been to heaven itself, seen God in heaven, seen things that he came back and said, I can't even tell you about these things. I don't have permission to even tell you what I saw. Here's Paul who'd seen the roughest kind of life and seen life in all its glory. And as he's winding down his letter to his friends in Thessalonica, he says simply, just like the guy at the end of this video, please pray for us. He'd been through the worst of the worst suffering. He's seen God in His glory. And he still says to his friends, just like I might say to you today, wow, would you pray for me? I need the strength your prayers give me. I need the encouragement your prayers give me. Paul, exactly the same thing. We're going to be in 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 1-5 through 5 this morning. Turn your Bibles there. This is the only place we'll be, basically, or your study sheet. Paul starts here, chapter 3, verses 1-5. through 5. He says, finally. This is not the final point he's going to make in this letter. In fact, most of chapter 3 is going to take up another topic entirely, but he's winding down the themes of chapter 2 about persecution and the day of the Lord and God's wrath and the whole issue about truth. Do we embrace truth or do we reject it? And then he talked about the good works and the good words that God had given us. And so in that context, he says, finally, brothers, pray for us that the Lord's message may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you and that he may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and guard you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to God's love and Christ's endurance. So Paul's final point here, he says, is brothers, Pray for us. The great apostle, the guy who's been to heaven, the guy who's been stoned apparently to death, suffered all kinds of persecution, says to his friends there, simply, pray for us. And if you go back to his first letter in that last chapter, he was winding down there, he said exactly the same thing there too. Brothers, pray also for us. I love this that Paul keeps this so simple. Pray for us. <clears throat> I think in general, we, and when I say this, I mean we, the church in the West, primarily we at Lion and Lamb, we, me, and you, I think we have a great temptation to live a very shallow kind of Christian faith. And one of the ways you can ask yourself if I'm serious and if I'm maturing in the faith is, am I, like our friend in the video, am I giving myself to the truth of God's Word? Am I in the truth? Do I value what God values, the truth which He's put in His Word, which this guy's willing to stay in prison 
just to get a copy of God's Word? Am I living in the truth of God's Word? The other one is, am I praying? Am I praying? You know, for a Christian, prayer should be like breathing. Something we do all the time. That it's a natural part of our life. It's not a special thing we do just before meals or at church on Sunday. It's part of who we are and what we do. That prayer is a normal part of our life. And in that context, Paul says, pray for us. And when we think of the suffering church, we should be thinking, pray for them. And when we think of each other, just friends, just fellow brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, praying for each other should be the norm. It should be the norm. You know, for this guy in the video, isolated and all by himself, you can imagine the temptations to feel like you've been forgotten by everyone. You've been forgotten by God. And he gets some letters from people in the West, and he's reminded, I'm not alone, I'm not forgotten, and people are aware of my circumstances, and they're praying for me. And for him, that's the difference between despair and hope. It's the difference between feeling like I'm isolated and I've been left all by myself, and no other people still know about me, they care about me, they love me, And they're praying for me. And guys, that'll take you down the road. We've talked about this routinely in the past, but when someone tells me they have past tense or they are present tense praying for me, that's the best thing I can hear. The greatest gift we can give each other, certainly one of them, is simply to pray for each other. It's to pray for each other. And here is this great apostle who's been through hell and high water, seen sort of the most difficult aspects of life in suffering, seen the most glorious aspects of life in heaven itself. And when he's leaving his friends here in this letter, he says, guys, would you pray for me? Would you pray for us? You know, if we're feeling down, it's prayer, it's the knowledge that other people are praying for us that gives us a sense of strength or hope or encouragement. And if you don't hear anything else this morning, if you just hear that call to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ, that would be it. That'd be it. This isn't complex. It's not complicated. This doesn't require a lot of work on our part. But simply a commitment to pray for each other can make all the difference in the world for somebody who's down. And by the way, You can't tell where someone's at spiritually or emotionally in their walk with Christ based on what you see on the outside. You know, most of us here are pretty good at putting a good face on life. How are you doing? Just fine. You know, my life's actually falling apart, but no, I'm just fine. You can't tell by what people say in a quick moment or see their face how they're doing. We need to pray for each other. And Paul says, as he's winding down this letter, guys, pray for us. Pray for us. We'll get a little bit to... And we'll pray for you. What a great relationship. If you've got a relationship with others based on prayer, it almost can't get better than that. Pray for us, Paul says. If we love each other, if we believe God answers prayer, prayer should be simply a natural part of our relationship with each other. So Paul says, guys, pray for us. Now, it's interesting what Paul does not ask prayer for. 
Uh, so uh, Paul has health issues. We think it's eye problems from Galatians, his letter to them. Paul could have said, hey, would you pray for my health? I'm struggling here physically. And that would have been a legitimate request for prayer, but he doesn't. And, you know, Paul in his life, he'd gone through these experiences of no food, no place to lay his head, you know, cold prison cells, etc. He might have said, hey, uh, would you pray? I'd like to get three square meals a day for a while in a soft bed, you know, a place to lay my head. Uh, great things that all of us would appreciate at any time of life, you know. Fine to pray about and for, but he doesn't. You know, Paul could have asked for uh, any kind of, uh, let's say, financial support so he can pay the bills and take care of the fellows that travel with him in his entourage. And that would have been a fine prayer too. Absolutely fine. Uh, But he doesn't. Paul doesn't ask for prayer for any one of a number of absolutely legitimate things that all of us need. And as we talk through this this morning, I'm not saying don't pray for legitimate needs that all of us have for a job or for the money to pay the bills or for health issues. We should pray about anything and everything, absolutely. But for Paul, what he's doing here, he's skinning down his list to the thing or the things that to him matter absolutely the most. If you or I are asking someone else for prayer, and let's just say you say, I can ask for one or two things. In my life right now, what would be the one or two things I would ask someone else to pray for? And that's what Paul's doing. Sort of in the priorities of life, I look at my life, where I'm at, what God's doing, the needs in myself or around me. What would be the one or two things, forgetting everything else, what would be the one or two things that I would consider indispensable if someone else was praying for me? That's what Paul does. And so look at what he does ask prayer for. Back at verse 1. He says, pray for us that the Lord's message may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. When Paul asks them to pray, it's not actually for himself in the sense that he's going to get a benefit of some kind. What he's asking prayer for is about his ministry to declare the truth about Jesus Christ to the world around him. It's not about the things he wants. It's not even about his personal needs. When Paul asks for prayer... He asks that God's word through his ministry would be expanded and would be accepted as the Thessalonians had accepted it. Now, looking at this in the Greek, the Lord's message is the Lord's word. Logos, God's word. My request to you for prayer is that God's word through me, it says spread rapidly, this is a word that uh, it means I'm taking a fast walk or it means I'm running quickly as if I've got a path in front of me and I'm running down this course. Paul says, may God's word through me, may it spread rapidly, as rapidly as someone running a race course and may it be honored. And that word is glorified or magnified. So Paul asks them to pray that God would continue to use him to spread the truth of God's Word rapidly, quickly, in a way that would be honored and accepted just as it had been for these folks in Thessalonica. That's Paul's request for prayer. It has nothing to do with his own benefits. 
has nothing to do with personal needs. He said, if I skinny down all the things I could think about to ask you for prayer, this is really my bottom line. I just need to make sure I get done the job God's given me. That I'm a herald, I'm this unique spokesman for God to the Gentiles, and I want to finish my job. And God's using me to proclaim the truth about Christ to the Gentiles in my time and in my world, and I want to make sure I get the job done. God's Word would spread rapidly. It would be honored and glorified just as it had been in Thessalonica. Now, lest you think that this is sort of unique, Paul elsewhere asks for prayer for himself, he doesn't. He's actually spot on here just as he's been in other times. So if you look at the end of the letter to the Ephesians in chapter 6, Paul there says exactly the same thing. Words are a little different, absolutely the same meaning. In that context, he says, Pray also for me that the message, the word, may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Uh, Pray that I might be bold enough in him to speak as I should. Now, you've got to realize that when Paul's writing this letter, he's talking about boldness. Uh, He's in prison. And when he asks them for prayer, he doesn't say, would you pray that God gets me out of prison? I think that's what I would have been asking. Could you get me out of here? Could you get me back to my family and my friends? Paul's in prison and he doesn't ask that they pray for his release. He prays that he'll be bold, that he will speak courageously. You can imagine if you're proclaiming God's word and you get hammered, you get knocked down, you get thrown in prison, you might have a temptation to say, I better slow down a little bit here. I better think about this. I better parse my words. Maybe I better get in line and be careful or more careful about what I say. But when Paul asks for prayer there, as he sits in prison, he says, guys, would you pray that I'm bold? That I don't cave to fear or anxiety? Would you pray that I'm bold and courageous and that I continue to proclaim the truth God's commissioned me to do? That's what he asked prayer for there. So his big deal is, guys, when you pray for me, pray that I'm successful in discharging the responsibilities God's given me to proclaim Christ to the nations. And that the word I preach would be God's word and it would be accepted by those who hear. He prays one other thing here in verse 2 or asks for this in prayer. He says, pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith. I think Paul's inference here is this. He says, guys, would you pray that I can escape people, men, government, that would have the effect of shutting down my ministry? Would you pray that evil and wicked men are not successful in keeping me from discharging my responsibility to proclaim the truth? Evil men were after Paul for sure. And of course, at the end of his life, he is beheaded, he's executed by Nero for his faith. But at that point we know, because he says so to his friend Timothy in 2 Timothy, his last letter, he understood then, I have finished the course God gave me to do. I fought the good fight and I kept the faith. So at that point he knows he's at the end of his life and his race is over. He was successful. 
But at this point, he's saying, guys, I'm not done. And I know God has more work for me. So when you pray, also pray that evil and wicked men would not be successful in shutting down my speech, my proclamation of God's truth, and primarily the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth that we're sinners in need of a Savior and God's taking care of that through Christ. Pray that I'll be delivered from evil men so that I can finish my race. So when Paul asks for prayer, it's not about personal comfort. It's not about a better lifestyle, shinier appliances, whiter teeth. It has everything to do with what has God called and commissioned me to do. Would you pray for me so I can fulfill my calling by God? That's what Paul asked prayer for, to fulfill his race, to finish his course. So Paul says, guys, would you do this? Would you pray for us? Would you pray for me? And then he turns around and says, and we'll pray for you. We are praying for you. If you go down to verse 5, Paul says there, may the Lord direct your hearts to God's love and Christ's endurance. May the Lord is a prayer. May the Lord direct your hearts to God's love and Christ's endurance. Remember that the people Paul's writing to, they're part of the persecuted church. If you think back to the first chapter of this letter, we talked about the fact that as soon as these guys had accepted the gospel and the church had been formed in Thessalonica, they were hammered with opposition and suffering and persecution. So Paul's writing to people like we saw in this video. It costs them something to be named a Christian and to share the truth of the gospel in Thessalonica. And so Paul says, we're praying for you about God's love and Christ's endurance. You know, just like Paul in Ephesians 6, I think the temptation for this group, as it would be for anyone, if you're paying a high cost to represent Christ, there's going to be that temptation to modify what I say or how I say it. And so he directs them in his prayer to the things he believes will be able to help them keep their eyes on the prize and finish the course God set for them. So he says, we're going to pray that your hearts are directed to God's love. It's in the knowledge of God's love for us that we find love for God and love for others. You know, at the end of the day, love is the highest motivation. Most of us, most of our lives live life significantly out of a motivation of fear. Uh, there's a fear of God that's absolutely essential and appropriate. But most of us, our old sinful carnal natures are inherently given to fear the wrong things. And we live lives that are based on fear, avoidance, anxiety. Fear sometimes will get you some positive results, but it is an, an, an inadequate motivation in Christ's cause, to serve in His name. Love is the motivation that you and I need to serve Christ, His cause, and in His name. And so Paul says, we're praying for you that your hearts will be directed into the love of God. When you get an idea of how fully and completely God loves you, the love inside you for God will be magnified and will grow. That's the response of seeing how fully God loves us. If I'm a fearful Christian, I still don't get how God loves me. 
how fully God loves me because my knowledge of the love of God dispels fear. If I know God loves me, ultimately that dispels fear. And love is the motivation. Love for God is the highest motivation you and I can have for anything we do on the earth. So Paul says, I'm praying for you that your hearts will be directed into the love of God. And that you'll see God's love for you, God's love in you will rise up, and God's love for others in you will rise up. And you'll be able to finish your course. You'll be able to face your persecution and your rejection because God's love is adequate for that. So to those who are persecuted, he says, I'm praying for you that you find more of God's love, the truth of God's love. He also says he's praying that they'll be drawn into Christ's endurance because it's in the knowledge of Jesus' endurance for us to the point of death on the cross that we find our endurance for the race and the road God's appointed for us. You know, in Hebrews 12, 1, the writer there says, uh, let us run with endurance the race set before us. You know, sometimes we feel good if we have one good day. You know, I got up, I met with the Lord, I prayed. Smoking, you know, that's success. One day. You know, but this says, we've got a race, and it's not a dash, it's a long run. It's like a marathon. And this says, we've got to run with endurance, the race set before us. And and guess who ran with endurance? Well, Jesus did. Jesus ran with endurance, the race set before him for the joy he knew lay ahead. And so Paul says, when I pray for you, I pray that you're caught up in God's love on one hand and also on the other that you're caught up in the endurance that is Jesus Christ's. Because when you see His kind of endurance, that same kind of endurance and you will be engendered, you'll be encouraged by that same thing. And we can say Jesus endured to the point of the cross for the joy set before Him. And Jesus modeled an example of endurance and Christ's life in us is endurance. So Paul says to the persecuted church in his day, I'm praying for you that your hearts are directed into the love of God and into the endurance of Jesus Christ. That's what will take you down the road. And that's exactly the same and true for you and I as well. I'm going to skim through some verses very quickly just to cover some other bases on what Paul had been praying for his friends here. In this same epistle, in the first chapter, he says in chapter 1, we always pray for you. Paul lived a life of prayer. We always pray for you that our God will consider you worthy of His calling. That by His power He'll fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified by you and you by Him. We're praying God continues to consider you worthy of the calling. That means you continue to be a part of God's work on this earth. We're praying that you continue to be a part of what God's doing on this earth, that Jesus Christ may be glorified. And you'll be glorified in Him too. That's what Paul's praying. In chapter 2, this was a passage we looked at just a couple of weeks ago, may our Lord Jesus Christ, this is another prayer, and God our Father, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. Paul says, guys, I'm praying for you that you're discharging the responsibilities God has for you in every good work and every good word. Same things he's asking prayer for for himself. 
back in his first letter, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23, may the God of peace, this is another prayer, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. God's holy, he says, as his people were to be holy. And Paul says, I'm praying that you're holy, that you're set apart to God and his purposes, that Christ's life, which is your life, is fulfilled in you, that you've become the person in Christ God means you to be, that we've left behind old things and old ways. Paul says, I'm praying that you'd be holy. So combine these, and this is what you see, Paul's priorities in prayer for his friends in Thessalonica. May they know and live in the power of God's love and Christ's endurance. May they continue to be used by God for goodness and works of faith. May they be encouraged for good works and good words in Christ's name. May they be kept fully holy until they see Jesus. Now just with that in in mind for just a moment, ask yourself, ask ourselves, when we pray for each other, do our prayers look anything like this? Now again, I know that it's absolutely legitimate to pray for the daily needs, and, and God does that. I mean, He encourages us to, right? Give us this day our daily bread, the things that consider us, concern us today. So that's all good and that's appropriate. But when we pray for others in the big picture, do we pray Paul's kinds of prayers? Because Paul had Christ's mind And this means he was praying God's will for these folks. When we pray for each other, our prayers at some level and with some consistency should mirror these kinds of requests. You know, and I think if we listen to ourselves or think about the things we ask for in prayer, probably most of the time this is not how we're praying. Strengthened with God's power to fulfill the responsibilities God's given us. Discharging those good words and those good works God's given us uniquely to do. We're not all Paul, clearly. We're not apostles, for sure. So our responsibilities look differently, but in our sphere of influence, we should be praying for each other similar prayers. That we're answering the call, that we're following Christ's lead that we're not shutting down, that we're not caving in, whether it's to our own sins or outside pressures, but that we're praying for each other, that we're staying in the race, that we're staying in the game, that we're sharing God's Word in all the ways He's given us to. And those good works God's called us to, that we're pitching in, that's what we're doing. Paul prayed that for his friends, and at least a good part of the time, this should be a mirror on our prayers for each other. It's the big picture. Now, all of us are different and we all have different spheres of influence. So we, if I pray for someone here, I might pray for a father that he's, he's loving his wife and, and speaking the truth of the Scriptures to his children. He's discipling at home. Or, or to a wife or a parent, something similar. You know, if you're a sibling, that'd be something you'd be praying for your sisters and brothers. Absolutely, right? I mean, sure, that's what we're doing right now. Old hat, for sure. You know, but applicationally, we should be thinking about each other and that sphere of influence, that role of life, and how is it that God wants to use my friend there? That's what I should be praying about. That's at least a significant part of what I should be praying about. Now, if I think of any individual in here, 
Or if you think of me and we're thinking about prayer and we're thinking about the high and glorious call of God on our life and the the good works and the good words He's called us to, and then we, we take a look at the person we're praying for, thinking of God's high and lofty claims and calls and this person, and we see the disparity between the two. We might not pray with much encouragement or hope. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so you look at and you say, man, Lord, Mike, you don't have much to work with there. You know, he's not what he should be. I mean, you know, the poor guy, he doesn't have a clue yet. So, Lord, if I'm praying for Mike, I'm like, wow, I'm discouraged. Because I know Mike, okay? I know him, and I know his weaknesses and, and all this stuff. And if Paul was thinking that way too, you know, he probably wouldn't have been very encouraged either because while these guys have been faithful in the face of persecution, they've got immorality issues big time. They've got work issues big time. They are anything but perfect. These are not stellar Christians he's praying for. So when Paul's looking at his friends there, what gives him encouragement to pray? How can he pray about this high and lofty call and discharging these responsibilities? Look at verse 3 and 4. He says, The Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and guard you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do what we command. What's Paul's encouragement in prayer for his friends based on? It's not based on his friends. It's based on God and God's faithfulness. When Paul prays for them, it's a group of immoral people. It's a group of people who don't know how to go to work and keep a job. And when Paul prays for them, he says he prays with confidence because he's, con- he's entrusting them to God and God's faithfulness. When you and I pray for each other, if we're looking at each other, we may grow discouraged. And say, Lord, they just don't have it in them. They're not up to the call. They're not up to the task. And that may very well be true. Probably is. But Paul says, no, when I pray for you, I'm basing my confidence in prayer on God, God's power, God's work, God's Spirit. Not on you. We're participants in that, of course, as individuals. But Paul's confidence in prayer is not based on their innate abilities. And when we pray for each other, we can afford not to grow discouraged because our confidence in each other isn't ultimately in each other. It's in God's work and faithfulness in us. Now, as he winds down this letter, Paul says, pray for us, we'll pray for you. Guys, what better benediction can you think of than that? Do you remember the scene in Acts 20 where Paul's leaving his friends from Ephesus and Miletus and they're gathered there on the beach and it's elders from the church and it's his friends, it's people that know him and love him. Do you remember how they part? They're praying for each other. They're praying for each other. This is the best benediction we can give each other. You know, when we leave, when we separate from each other for a day or a month or a year, what better benediction can you give than saying, Pray for us, pray for me, and we'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. If we go away, uh, we can do this on any number of things. You know, we're confronted with truth in the Scripture and it calls us up. And if we hear a teaching on prayer and we don't pray, we're just wasting our time. We're just playing church. 
We're religious hypocrites if we don't pray. God calls us to pray. Paul's our example. Christ ultimately is our example. There's a great quote that says, uh, the greatest argument for prayer is the praying Jesus. If God the Son on earth prayed, you know what? We better too. If God the Son on earth prayed, we better pray too. We need to pray. Guys, this is not a heavy burden. This does not require a lot of us. This just requires the thought of mine. I'm thinking about God and I pray. I think about my friend and I say, Lord, would you bless them? They need your help. Or I confess. Prayer is just communication. It's not complicated. We're talking to God. Are we Christians? We have His Spirit. We're in relationship with God. Prayer should be like breathing. We should be praying. Let's not go home and not pray. We need to pray for each other. Just like Paul was saying here, pray for us, we'll pray for you. We need to pray for each other. You know, the church prayer calendar is a great way to do that. If you're a regular at Lion and Lamb Church, your name's on that calendar. And so other people in the church are seeing your name on that day and they're praying for you. That is really cool. And when you're praying for other people on that prayer list, you'll see that it changes the way you think about them. And when you pray for others, there's a fellowship that you cannot have apart from prayer. And when you find yourself praying for others, you'll find that you have a fellowship and a closeness to them you don't if you don't pray for them. You'll care about that person in a way you didn't before. They'll mean more to you because you've prayed for them than they did before. We should be praying for each other. The prayer calendar is a great way to do that. You know, there's a group of gals in this church that have been gathering every first and third Tuesday at 7 o'clock at Pat's house for 8 to 10 years praying for this church. You know, I don't know what God has spared us because of that, but I know God has helped hold this church together and help us grow, I think, in the ways He wants us to because there have been a group of women praying twice a month, every month, year after year after year. I know God's used that. I don't know all the ways how, but I know He has. This church gathers every third Sunday evening at this facility, 6 to 7.30, to pray. I loved Brent's comment during announcements. Uh, our turnout last month was pathetic, frankly. And a lot of people were gone. It couldn't be helped. But guys, we need to pray as a church. If we're not characterized by the truth of God's Word, not just in our hand or on our shelf, but in our heart, we're learning it, we're living it, we're doing it. And prayer... We're just playing at church. We're not even in the game. We're not in the arena. You can't be in God's arena in His work if we're not embracing the truth of God's Word, acting on it, and praying. Sort of it's the breathe out, breathe in of spiritual life. The truth and prayer. Breathe out, breathe in. Uh, In your home groups, in your groups, small groups, guys and gals, we should be praying with each other. Uh, How about this? uh, Email and Facebook. I don't Facebook. And I'm not going to. And, and I don't care what the appeal is. I'm not going there. But I know most of you do. Do you put prayers on your Facebook walls? When you go to other people's Facebook walls, do you put prayers there? What a great way to pray for each other. If that's our method of communication, what a great way to do it. And that everyone who visits your page or their page sees we're praying for each other. That's a part of who I am. It's part of my identity as revealed electronically on the Internet. Or by emails. You know, you can add a signature to your name, you know, to every email you send out. 
You know, what a great place to put a scripture verse or a prayer for the people you're emailing. You know, we live electronically. We live on the Internet. Does, does the fact, hopefully, that we pray, is it reflected in that existence? Need, we obviously need to be praying with our families. We need to be praying with our friends, with the folks you live with, the, with the Christians you work with, go to school with. We should be praying with each other. We try to be faithful as a church too to pray for our missionaries. I was uh, blessed when a family that's joined us within about the last year said they were visiting and they saw the missionary posted on our overhead and we prayed for that missionary that morning. They said they, they knew that we were serious about missions because we were praying and highlighting our missionary. And we support, through Gospel for Asia, we support a group of missionaries as well as local and distant groups that serve in Christ's name. And we want to be serious about praying for those we support financially. Financial support's great. Prayer support and financial support is even better. Related to Suffering Church Sunday, we support as a church Voice of the Martyrs. There's handouts on the table, the table when you guys go out. If you don't get this, there's a bunch of these magazines back there. Grab one and take it home. If these are gone... Grab a card, you can get their monthly magazine. It just tells you about real people just like us who are in other parts of the world who are suffering for Christ's cause. Just like Paul did, just like the Thessalonians did, just like our friend in the video that we started with did. Listen to this from a Syrian pastor. This is contemporary. You know, Syria as a country is just imploding, just falling apart. Civil war, though they don't call it that. This is from a Christian, a Syrian pastor in early October, wrote an email to Open Doors USA describing the deteriorating situation for both Christians and non-Christians. He described millions forced from their homes, many sleeping outdoors, others mourning the loss of loved ones, and refugees living without access to shelter, clean water, power, food, and medical care. Think of hurricanes... Is it Sandy? Think of that writ large across the, the width and breadth of Syria. With that devastation and destruction in mind, this is what he wrote. I can cry like Nehemiah because the walls of our cities are burnt and the people in great trouble and disgrace. I can weep like Jeremiah because of the intensity and the spread of evil. I can mourn like David because of the indiscriminate, brutal killing of innocent people, children, women, elderly, youth. But the pastor said, despite the dangers... Churches remain determined to extend the gospel. Guys, this is in a Muslim country. The church, the Christians in Syria are determined in the face of ongoing persecution and now civil war and destruction. They are determined to extend the gospel. That's Paul's prayer this morning in 2 Thessalonians, that the gospel may run its course and be honored and be received. He says, uh, while we can see and sense the evil power spreading a dark cloud over the country, closing the door for the light of hope, we still trust our all-sovereign God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. That's the big picture. My life is falling apart. My country is falling apart. God is sovereignly in charge of all, and we are determined to get the truth out. That's Paul's picture. 
when he says pray for us and we'll pray for you. We need to pray. Let me close with this prayer. This is from Hebrews 13. The writer wound down his 13 chapters there by praying this, Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, with the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with all that is good to do His will. Guys, ultimately our prayers for each other are about helping each other do the will of God. Working in us what is pleasing in His sight, having Christ's mind, His determination. Through Jesus Christ, glory belongs to Him forever and ever. Amen.